Seeking the Extraordinary is sponsored by The Colony Group, a national wealth and business management company that seeks the extraordinary by pursuing an unrelenting mission of providing clients with peace of mind and empowering their visions of tomorrow. To learn more about how The Colony Group manages beyond money, visit thecolonygroup.com. Welcome, fellow seekers of the extraordinary. Welcome to our shared quest. A quest not for a thing, but for an idea. A quest not for a place, but into deep, inner, unexplored regions of ourselves. A quest to understand how we can achieve our fullest potential by learning from others who have done or are doing exactly that. Extraordinary stories of overcoming anguish. Every single one of them had lost somebody from their family. I will never give up on trying to lessen that conflict. People who have stood up to challenges with true courage. Do something in life that, that you have a passion for, something that you enjoy and you find fulfilling. That's where you have your greatest success. Stories that will enlighten and inspire. What I said to him is absolutely a cliche, but the journey is more important than the end result. May we always have the courage and wisdom to learn from those who have something to teach. Join me now in Seeking the Extraordinary. I'm Michael Nathanson, your Chief Seeker of the Extraordinary. For today's episode, our Chief Seeker of the Extraordinary, Michael Nathanson, has graciously agreed to turn over his mic. I'm Christina Saunders. I'm a senior portfolio manager at the Colony Group and pleased to be here and take the opportunity to feature one of the extraordinary women at Colony, of which there are many. This podcast is sponsored by Her Wealth by Colony. Her Wealth is committed to empowering women with the tools and resources they need to make informed financial decisions and take control of their wealth. Our guest today is a client service manager at the Colony Group, her journey to Colony is anything but ordinary. Please welcome the extraordinary Queen Harambi. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome, Queen, and thanks for joining me on today's podcast. I'm so happy to have you here and to learn more about your life journey so far. When I first met you, I remember thinking that your parents were prescient in naming you Queen. You are such a lovely person. So, so happy to be here with you. That's very sweet of you to say, Christina. Thank you. So your journey to TCG is an interesting one. Can you share more about where you grew up? Yeah, sure. So my parents are originally from Burundi, a very small country in East Central Africa. My dad was a diplomat, which means he was posted in different countries for an undetermined amount of time. I was born in Kenya, Nairobi, which was the second country he was posted in. My older sisters grew up in Tanzania, then my family moved to Kenya, then we lived in Rwanda, then Burundi, and then we came to the U.S., specifically New York. So that's basically what my childhood consisted of. I moved to the U.S. when I was 10 years old. I mentioned that as a diplomat, my dad was posted to these different countries. It was usually four years, but depending on how the home country was doing, it could be shorter or longer. Most of the time, it was shorter because there were a lot of coups that would happen. In the 90s, um, there were a lot of coups in the African countries, so the diplomats often had to suddenly leave or stay. So like in Kenya, we did a full four years. Then in Rwanda, we only did 2.5, like two and a half years because the leadership 
just changed and there was political and ethnic instability. And so we had to go back to Burundi. So you mentioned uh, coups happening in some of the areas where you lived. For those listening that may not be familiar with your country's history, can you tell us a little bit about why your family decided to leave? Yeah, so when we moved to the U.S., my dad had become Burundi's ambassador to the United Nations. And this was in the late 90s. And our region's history was very, very unstable. A few years before, there was a genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda. And luckily, our family escaped that. It started in April of 1994, and we, we left just a few months prior to that. What people don't really talk about was that there was also a genocide in Burundi. I mean, Rwanda is literally like our sister country. We speak the same language. We're kind of the same people. They had a very brutal genocide. And Burundi kind of mirrored that, but in a much smaller scale and in a much more complex situation. So it was just not safe for us to go back. So my parents just decided we should all stay in New York, the city of dreams. Right, right. Well, yeah. I mean, well, that's quite an amazing backstory. So did you all have family members that were left behind in Burundi? I mean. Yeah, I mean, our immediate family, my siblings and my parents were here. But of course, the extended family was still back home. And there's no way, obviously, we can bring them here. But I was very happy to, as a child, I was just happy to be with my siblings and and parents anywhere. So. Yeah, but it was pretty rough for some of my family members back in Burundi during through that time. Well, I'd like to talk about this a little bit more, so maybe we'll do it at the end. After moving to New York, what was the biggest difference you noticed compared to your family's life in Africa? Well, even though we don't like to use the term third world countries or poorest country, which is really where my family comes from, there is definitely a big difference, mainly the culture shock aspect. When you come from a small country, you instantly notice that the resources here are just humongous. I mean, I'll never forget the first time I went to the supermarket and you go to a grocery aisle and there are like 12 different types of toothpaste. And all from back home is just Colgate. So you're just like, I don't know which one to choose from. This is a lot. (laughs) You know, what does, why does one cost $6 and the other two? dollars and 95 cents. They essentially provide the same results, right? So little things like that. But of course, also uh, the the weather. Oh my gosh, the weather. Burundi has such beautiful weather all year long. It's around 70 degrees. So it took a while to get used to, to winter. And I think to this day, I don't really think my body has gotten used to it, but oh well. <laughs> well, so New York is like, New York is the Big Apple. So right. there is really no city that compares in many, many ways. And and it can be extremely intimidating if you're coming from anywhere. I mean, if you're coming from Maryland and you go to the work, it's, it, is, it is a big thing. So coming from another country totally with a totally different approach to living and different economy, different political. I mean, what was that like? Oh, yeah, I definitely took some adjustment to do. And by the way, I did not speak English at all. So oh, there's my also gosh, the language. Queen. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, my <laughs> gosh, I would never know that. Wow. No, yeah, so I had to learn it when I moved here. And yeah, so there's just, there were, I could go on so many stories of how it took 
a long time to adjust. But of course, as a child as well, it's it's easier, right, than than when you're moving to a new environment as an adult. So so just put me in school. I went into school. I was used to changing schools and and having new friends. So it it took a while, but it wasn't as as I would say as as difficult as let's say my parents. Yeah. Yeah. The adjustment was was okay for me and my siblings, I would say. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think kids are very what's the word? Elastic. The word is exactly when yeah. able to cope. It doesn't mean it it was easier, but perhaps looking back, perhaps when you look at it, maybe it seems a little harder than perhaps it felt at the time. But compared to right. your parents, yeah, you're right. Being coming to a country, although your dad, if he was a diplomat, I'm sure he already knew how to speak English. But yes, he did. Yeah. He was yeah. the only one. Well, my mom actually did speak English as well. So my parents both spoke English very well. But us as kids, we just had to learn it. Um, And yeah, so (laughs) again, as a child, you learn a language pretty quickly, right? Like faster than if you were to learn a language as an adult. So so that helped as well. Yeah, yeah. So how has kind of this experience that you had, which is a a pretty, it is an extraordinary experience to have to leave your country because of genocide. I mean, that is, who else do we know that that has happened to? That's a big, that's a big thing. So how has that shaped your life and your ambitions today coming from that background? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to clarify and say the genocide was years before. So it's not like we left right before the genocide. Okay. There was a civil war, I would say. That's okay. that, I guess that's the term that, that was used and is still used today for, for that. People can argue, but yes, <laughs> so it was a civil war. And yes, it was in SACE. But I would say what shaped me, it was very interesting living in different places as a child. But I also went to, from school to school, had to make new friends, had to change environments. And that has certainly led me to be very open to new experiences and new cultures and new opportunities. So coming to a new country, not speaking the language, having to go to school, a totally different environment, being a young woman, being a woman of color. I mean, all of those things, I would think that there's all sorts of stories you could tell us. But in terms of the opportunities that are available for women in our country compared to what you experienced or heard or learned as you were growing up from where you left. How would you compare that? And can you give any insight on that? I was born in a very conservative, patriarchal society. Some of my aunts were not able to attend school. They were not able to achieve their full potential. But my father was lucky to have gone to school and to have daughters So he always told us the importance of going to school, using your voice. And just because you're a woman, it doesn't mean that you cannot do any of the things that men do. At his core, everything about my dad was that of a conservative African uh, man. But he had daughters and sisters that he loved very, very much. So he always emphasized the importance of, of education and finding good jobs. And he knew that that would be our ticket out of this sort of oppressive, patriarchal society, I would say. Yeah. And and, and then I have a similar story, honestly, in terms of that. My dad was, so I mentioned on another podcast that I came from very patriarchal culture. 
my father, however, was a very against his 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 peer group in that he had two daughters and very much wanted them to be educated. And so it sounds crazy now, but my many of my friends and cousins were women were not allowed to go to college and they lived here in the United States. So the culture oh, wow. was that tight. Wow. And my dad and grandpa, they both felt very strongly that we want you to get educated and that's really important. And and that was against their peer group, their main, what their peer group believed. So I have, I'm eternally grateful for, for that because Absolutely. I can't even imagine what my life would be like had I been stymied in that way. Exactly. I mean, my father was the eldest in his family. And my grandfather, he sold cows in order for him to go to school. Yeah. And he he had a little sister. That little sister stayed at home and did not go to school. And everything was was provided to my dad in terms of going to school and education. So it's it's mind boggling thinking about that. But I know it's something it's not uncommon. I've heard stories that it's very it's common back in Burundi for people, for girls not to go to school and for the boys to go to school. And it's just really, it's crazy to me. <laughs> That's still a case very, today. Yeah. It is yeah. a case today. Exactly. It's so hard it's, to imagine. Still, exactly. It's still, it's, that's still the case today. It's very, very hard to imagine. But yeah. yes. Yeah. Because it affects the entire family. It affects the kids and the grandchildren that you'll have. So, yeah. yeah. So given that and given that perspective, how do you... So sometimes I think about, given that I have somewhat that same experience, I feel so fortunate to live in a country that allows me to be a woman and pursue whatever I want to pursue. Even though there's maybe still some roadblocks, things have gotten a lot better, but I still feel eternally grateful that I can really pursue any opportunity I want to pursue, that my daughters can be whoever they want to be. And yet we sometimes as women, we hold back from pursuing what we want to pursue for whatever the reason may be. So, I mean, can you speak to that a little bit in terms of do you feel the same way? Do you feel differently? Agree or disagree with me? I absolutely agree with you. So with everything I talked about today, yes, I do come from one of the poorest countries in the world, from an environment where people here might consider very disadvantaged. But I will acknowledge that I also grew up privileged, privileged that I had a good family, a good foundation, came to the U.S., went to good schools, worked for such a wonderful, you know, company. And I'm grateful to have what I have now with all the foundation and all the people who've helped. I really hope that I can pay forward, whether it is with people around me, people from Burundi, people from the U.S., that's like you, I do have a daughter and she's two years old. And one of the biggest lessons I want to teach her is that, and I'm talking coming from obviously working in the financial industry, is that women can learn finances, be financially independent. Um, coming from a culture where a lot of me, a lot of women felt trapped sometimes in situations because they didn't have financial independence. They couldn't find better for themselves because they were dependent on their fathers, brothers, or husbands. I want to show her that she's capable of forging her own path, stand on her two feet. Mm -hmm. And living here in the U.S., you are, you are giving so many opportunities to do just that. So I want to remind her of that 
every single day. Yeah. 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 We've come a long way, obviously. Yes. (laughs) People like you forging the way. Oh, I don't know about that. (laughs) I forged a little bit, but (laughs) I still have some forging to do, Queen. (laughs) There's still more, more work ahead. We appreciate you, Christina. We do. (laughs) Oh, you're sweet. You're sweet. So now that we're talking about financial things, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to the financial services industry and how you ended up at, you know, the Colony Group? We're so happy to have you. And I'm so happy to be here. I mean, I majored in accounting and I came to visit my sister one summer here in in D.C., and I had been applying for jobs and I needed to make some money <laughs> during that summer. And so I got this temp job here when it was still Bridgewater. This temp job was supposed to be only for two weeks. But luckily, Ron Rubin approached me and offered me a job in the investment wealth management service. So I literally called my mom that same day and said, mom, I'm not going back to New York. I'm moving to Maryland. She was very, very surprised. <laughs> but I think she she's very happy that I am here. And I talk so much about you know, the Colony Group and how I really, really enjoy the people I work with and I really enjoy what I do. So it was it was really one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Just, oh, great. And it's just one of those things that happen and you have no idea how, but yeah. I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's cool going from a temp and then telling mom I'm moving, like you know, yeah. no notice. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if I asked you as a as a woman in the financial services industry, how would you counsel somebody who perhaps wanted to be in this business? So there is 18% of women in the RA space. And the colony group right now is at about 38%. And that that really shows me that the colony group is really trying to change all of that. And I'm really, I'd like to encourage all the other women who are thinking of coming into this industry to do so because it is very important to take control of, to understand finances, to take control of your money and ultimately be able to, to help your family. I feel very blessed to be part of a company that, that's able to do that, that actually continues to, to encourage everybody, including women, to understand their finances and, and educate them. So I'd hope that more and more women will join this industry and will be able to see 50% or more yeah, in yeah. my lifetime. Me too. Me too. And one other question I would have for you is, now that you have a one and a half, two-year-old, how is that impacting your career, your life? I have four kids, so I know that this is a whole new journey that you're on. And so how is that going? And have you had to modify things at all? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's I I do love her. She's my whole world. It is quite challenging balancing work and life at home. Obviously, when you have a child, everything is turned upside down. and, And so it takes time to really adjust. And so when you're trying to pursue a career, Sometimes there are roadblocks and there are, there are things that you have to work on for a while 
And I know I'm not the only woman to say this, but yeah, it's still very much a thing where it is hard to just balance life and work as a woman. And so uh, still learning how to do that, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I do love my little one very much. I'm sure. And her name is Mia. Is that right? (laughs) Yes. Her Uh, name is Mia. (laughs) I'm sure she is, brings much joy and it's worth all the work. Trust me. Absolutely. Trust me on that. (laughs) And that is the extraordinary Queen Harambi. Thank you, Queen. Thank you, Christina. Again, thank you so much for having me. This was a real pleasure. Well, it was it was a real joy for me as well. So I look forward to seeing you in Bethesda sometime soon. Yes, please do come over very, very soon. We miss you already. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Queen. I'll end today's show with the important themes that are reflected throughout Queen's journey. The importance of appreciating and leveraging new opportunities, being courageous and adapting to changing circumstances. When you shift your perspective and take advantage of the opportunities presented you, it can turn into something extraordinary. Thank you again to our sponsor today, Her Wealth by Colony. To learn more, visit thecolonygroup.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode, and thank you to Michael Nathanson for sharing the mic again. I'm Christina Saunders, and I look forward to joining you all again soon.